Hey, Northridge, how are you guys? Always good to be with you. I'm so excited about this summer series. Uh, we're having a blast. I want to welcome those of you that might be at uh, Brighton campus or the Grosseal campus. Those of you who are watching online, wherever you might be, we're so excited that uh, you are with us. And uh, we are today going to talk about something really fun. We're going to talk about procrastination. All right, so let's start. Let's start with a little survey, all right? Well, no, you know what? First, I'll start with confession, okay? I'll start with my own confession, and maybe this will make you feel better, because I was thinking this week about what are some of the different areas in my life that I procrastinate, and there's like tons of them, and usually procrastination does not pay off. That's kind of the whole point of this message, but there is one area that has paid off for me, and so I don't mind like household chores, like like vacuuming. I kind of like vacuuming because it just feels productive, and I like the lines in the carpet and stuff, and so that's kind of fun. Um, what I, what I hate though is folding laundry. I hate it. Like I I I despite folding laundry, and so I just put it off. And what's happened is I've discovered. I don't even need a dresser in my bedroom anymore, right? I, I just store it in the, in the dryer. And when I need a shirt or pants in the morning, I just go and I get it out of the dryer. I put it on, I wear it, throw it in the dirty. Whenever the dryer is empty, that's my cue for, Pete, you need to do laundry again. It works. Like, you should try it. It's fantastic. And it's, uh, that's one area where procrastination is paid off. But normally it doesn't. So let's just make me feel better and see where we all stand with this, all right? I want you to raise your hand if this pertains to you. You ready? If you've ever had a project around the house that you needed to do, but you kept putting it off, raise your hand. All right? Uh, if you've ever put off returning a phone call or sending an email because you just didn't want to do it, raise your hand. All right. If you've ever delayed making a doctor's appointment because you're afraid like something might be wrong, raise your hand. Yeah. Um, if you've ever uh, waited till April 15th to file your taxes, raise your hand. Uh, if you've ever done Christmas shopping on December 24th, raise your hand. If you've ever been late for an appointment or how about a, a church service, raise your hand. I know, y'all, and they, like, you guys are the 1116 service. Like, you, there's like no excuses, right? Like, I understand the 916 people rolling in late, but you guys? And you're like, don't judge me, dude. You don't even know how to fold your laundry. <laughs> I get it. Like, there's all kinds of different things in our life that we tend to kind of procrastinate and put off. Uh, it turns out that Scientists have recently discovered what they believe to be, they're calling it a procrastinating gene that some people have. And so it actually means that some of us are genetically predispositioned to want to procrastinate. Really interesting thing when the scientists looked at this particular gene underneath the microscope is the only human gene that was just sitting around watching cat videos on the internet. All the rest of them are like, come on, we got stuff to do, but not those genes. It's the procrastinating gene, right? And so this is a problem that a lot of us face and a lot of us go through. And I spent some time this week trying to wrap my mind around why we do this in certain areas of our life. There's a guy by the name of Tim Urban who recently did a TEDx talk, which I thought was fascinating. And this is kind of how he explained this concept of procrastination. He said the non-procrastinator's brain looks like this, all right? There's a rational decision maker who's at the helm, all right? The rational decision maker is the one who's, who's driving the whole thing. The rational decision maker says, I do things that make sense. I think long-term, I am not a child, right? That's how rational decision maker works. In the procrastinator's brain, 
There is the rational decision maker, but there's also the instant gratification monkey. And the instant gratification monkey does try to grab the wheel from time to time and take control, right? And so the way that plays out is it looks like this. Rational decision maker says, this is a perfect time. We need to get some work done, right? And the instant gratification monkey says, nope, I got other plans, right? There's some other stuff I want to do. Instant gratification monkey always thinks easy, pleasure, uh, wants to avoid work, wants to avoid hard things. Like the, way, kind of, like the way this little guy works in my mind is like this week I'm trying to work on this message, right? And I'm like, all right, focus. Because I tend to like be pretty scattered anyway. So I'm like, focus, 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 you know? And, uh, and Instant Gratification Monkey is like, hey, Pete, haven't you been wondering like if Brad Pitt is, is dating Jennifer Aniston again? Because like, I remember we heard that rumor a couple weeks ago and you know that you really wanted them to get back together. And so, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe they are. So maybe you should Google that. And so I Google that, right? And I kind of go down that rabbit trail. And so I spend some time kind of researching what's going on with Brad Pitt and Jennifer Aniston. And then before you know it, I start thinking, no, 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 no. The, the rational decision makers like, you gotta, you gotta think about a message. I'm like, that's right, I gotta think about a message. And it's a gratification monkey is that, yeah, think about the message and who you're delivering that message to. And there's different campuses and there's a, campus called Grisil, and apparently that's an island, and so why don't you Google that and see what the island's like, and so I Google it, and I'm like, oh my gosh, they really are living on an island. How cool is that that you guys live on an island in Grisil, and I, then I'm like, well, that's cool, but I wonder what other islands exist in the continental U.S. that I could possibly live on, right? And so I started Googling that, and it turns out there are hundreds of them, right? And like, an instant gratification monkey is just trying to do anything to keep me from being focused where I need to be focused. But there is one thing that the instant gratification monkey is very scared of, and that's the panic monster. All right, and what happens is the panic monster all of a sudden will kind of jump in and remind everybody that there's a deadline, that something needs to be accomplished. All right, so the panic monster comes in and he's like, ah, and instant gratification monkey and the rational decision maker are like, ah, right, and everybody kind of freaks out in that moment, right? This is the moment that all of a sudden I'm like, whoa, Pete, you have a message due in like 48 hours, buddy. You better get focused, right? This is when all of a sudden in your mind you're like, oh, no, taxes are due tomorrow or this work project is due in three hours. This is the moment when you get the email from the homeowners association that says, we're going to put a picture of your lawn up on the neighborhood Facebook page if you don't mow your grass by Saturday. Right? That's the, that, that, that's the panic monster saying, hey, you better think about this, right? You, we're we're going to take control again. And for the procrastinator, and, and everybody has different levels of this, right? This is what kind of keeps us on track, is the panic monster. It, it keeps us functional in life. The panic monster is what keeps you from getting fired, right? It's what keeps you from getting turned into your homeowners association. It what keeps you out of trouble with the government because you finally do turn in your taxes because the panic monster kicks in. And so, it, you know, for those of us that deal with procrastination, for the most part, we're still a functioning member of society, right? It's not as smooth as those of you who don't struggle with it, but we eventually get things done. But what was really interesting to me as I started to think about this, this whole concept of procrastination is the really important things in life, the things that we would really like to see our life be about, right? The transformation that we all desire. Because can, can we just be honest for a second? We all have a gap, right? There, there's this gap in between who we are today 
and who we ultimately want to be, right? There's a gap for those of you who are fathers in the way that you think about raising your kids. You're like, man, I'm not, I'm not always a dad that I want to be. Same thing for moms, husbands, wives, boyfriends, girlfriends, friends, right? There's this gap for all of us in between where we are today and where we really want to be. And when you think about transformation, when you think about, you know, um, things like wanting to become a more generous person, when you think about wanting to become a person who lets go of some grudges and some hurt and some anger, when you think about wanting to live a joyful life, uh, when you think about maybe wanting your life to be used, uh, your voice to be used for those who don't have a voice or your influence to be used for those who might not have an influence, like when you think about the things that really matter in life, the kind of people we're becoming, there is often no panic monster involved. Why? Because there's no deadline. Nobody's telling you you have to be generous by next week or you have to be a better human being by next month, right? These things that we really hope for and we really desire and we really want to see happen in our life, it's possible to keep pushing these things away, right? There's, there's no panic monster. There's no deadline. There's nobody that's going to force this on you, right? Nobody can even make this decision for you. The kind of people we're becoming, the only person who can make that decision and track that course is you, right? Nobody can force this on you. So how do we deal with that problem? And there's a story in scripture really about procrastination that kind of flushes some of this out. It's found in Exodus chapter eight. Quick background uh, for those of you who might not be familiar with the Bible, but in, uh, the whole book of Exodus in the Old Testament is really just a story about the journey of God's people and discovering freedom after they've been in slavery for 400 years. And God raises up a leader by the name of Moses and gives Moses this task of confronting Pharaoh, who's the leader of Egypt. Um, he's like, you know, God wants you to let his people go. Pharaoh's like, why would I do that? You know, like economically, that makes no sense, right? I've got, you know, these thousands and thousands of people who are free labor for our country. Like, why would I let them go? So then God gives Moses the power to perform a, a series of plagues. These are kind of like bargaining chips, right? To level the playing field. So Moses has some power in this scenario. And if you've read through Exodus before, there's a whole series of these different plagues. There's some that involve gnats and locusts and boils and all kinds of crazy things. Uh, they turn water into blood. Like, but one of the interesting ones, especially when I was a kid, I thought this was fascinating, was frogs. Yeah, frogs. And so this is an interesting passage. It's Exodus chapter 8. I'll start in verse 6. And it says, so Aaron, that, that was um, Moses' brother, by the way. So Aaron stretched out his hand over the water of Egypt, and the frogs came up and they covered the land. But the magicians did the same thing by their secret arts. They also made frogs come up on the land of Egypt. Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron, and he said, pray to the Lord to take the frogs away from me and my people, and I will let your people go to offer sacrifices to the Lord. Moses said to Pharaoh, I leave you the honor of setting the time for me to pray for you and your officials and the people that you and your houses may be rid of the frogs except for the ones that remain in the Nile. Tomorrow, Pharaoh said. Moses replied, it will be as you say so that you may know that there is no one like the Lord our God. It's a, the whole story is kind of weird, to be honest with you. But for me, the weirdest part of this whole thing is when Moses is like, all right, Pharaoh, you want to get rid of the frogs? You want me to pray to, to remove them? I'll do it. Tell me when. And Pharaoh's like, eh, why don't we do it tomorrow? Tomorrow, like, uh, you want to ask Pharaoh, dude, what, what are you thinking? 
right? You get the picture here, right? The frogs are out of control. Scripture says they're everywhere, right? They're all over the palace. They're in the houses of the officials. Pharaoh can't back his chariot out of the garage without running over frogs. If he has anything like a normal house, his wife and his daughter are standing on the table screaming out loud about the frogs. His son has run out of those canisters to collect the frogs and accidentally suffocate them. It's like, it's, it's a madhouse. They're everywhere. And yet when Moses ref- is like, dude, I'm, I'm offering, like, we'll, we'll get rid of them. His response is tomorrow. And you're like, again, what could possibly motivate Pharaoh to wait until tomorrow when he could get it done today? But if you look carefully at this story, his behavior isn't really that odd, is it? I mean, we've done this. What Pharaoh decides is, you know what? I can settle for another night with the frogs. I'll wait till tomorrow. It's the someday syndrome, right? Someday, I'm going to quit complaining and I'm going to develop a grateful heart. Someday I'll get in shape. Someday I'll start to slow down and actually enjoy my life. Someday I'm going to get serious about my relationship with Jesus. Someday I'm going to get connected to the church. Someday I'm going to get organized. Someday I'll take more risks. Someday I'll become a more generous person. It's always someday, right? It's, it's someday, like after I get graduated, that's when I'm like, you know, going to get serious about stuff. Or someday when I get married, that's when I'll start like kind of tackling some of this stuff. Or someday after we have kids or someday after the kids leave home or someday after I retire, it's always someday. You're always looking off in the distance, you know, some, sometime, right? Someday I'm going to actually get serious about this. It's, it's just kind of a puzzling thing. Moses says to Pharaoh, you don't have to live with the frogs anymore. Pharaoh's like, uh, okay, all right, thank you. Um, yeah, okay, you know, let's just, let's wait until tomorrow. And I know what Pharaoh's probably doing. What Pharaoh is, is thinking is, you know what? I don't really want to give up my slave labor. Like, I want to get rid of the frogs, but I don't want to have to give up economically how this is benefiting me. And so I'm just going to wait because maybe the frog situation will take care of itself, right? Maybe I won't have to give anything up. Maybe the frogs will just hop off to Assyria, Right? Maybe the frog fairy will come in and just make them disappear. Like maybe, maybe somehow this situation will work itself out on his own without me having to give up anything. And so Pharaoh decides that he can live with the frogs. A pastor by the name of John Ortberg wrote, um, Pharaoh learned that he could tolerate a frog-saturated life. Not a great life. Not a whole lot of joy in that life, but he can survive. And he actually prefers that to the change that would be required of him in repentance. See, this is what procrastination is, just the failure to do what needs to be done when it needs to be done. And I think this is a major problem for a lot of us. Because, see, here's the deal. Like, it's not like in most areas of your life you don't know what you need to do. Like, you kind of know, right? You know the kind of person that you want to be. You know a lot of the things that you need to do. And I'm going to give all of us the benefit of the doubt and say, I I don't think the vast majority of us have made a decision that defiantly we're not going to do it. I don't think you've ever woke up and said, I am not going to become a generous person. I refuse. I refuse to become more kind. I refuse to become a better father or a better mother. So it's not that we don't know what to do. And it's not that we're refusing to be obedient in the areas we need to be obedient. The problem is we just don't get around to doing it. We just keep saying, "Uh, tomorrow, yeah, I know, but tomorrow. 
So I'm going to give you three real practical steps, right? And, and I get it. Like, there's all kinds of different reasons we procrastinate and all kinds of different areas of our life that we procrastinate. So motives and problems and all that vary across the board. But these are just three ways that have really helped me over time to kind of get a handle on this in some areas of my life, right? So very practical. The first one is this. You got to give up perfection. Um, there's a very strong link between procrastination and perfectionism. It's interesting because I think a lot of times people who procrastinate get a bad rap as if they're lazy or they don't care, but usually that's not the problem. It's not that you don't care. Sometimes you care too much. And so you want it to be absolutely perfect. And that perfectionism paralyzes you. And so you're kind of what we would call a procrastinating perfectionist. I struggle with this a, a lot. Because if I'm writing something or I'm putting something together that I'm going to have to publicly share, I, I want it to be perfect. Uh, my friend John Acuff says that 90% perfect and shared with the world will always make a bigger difference than 100% perfect and stuck in your head. And that's where a lot of you are. You're stuck in your head. You want it to be 100% perfect or you're never going to do it. You're never going to say it. You're never going to go there. And it's, it's totally paralyzing you. Ecclesiastes 11.4 says, if you wait for perfect conditions, you'll never get anything done. That's so true, isn't it? Some of you, you're just, man, you're waiting for the perfect day, the perfect circumstances, the perfect plan, the perfect reason, the perfect person, and they're not coming. It's not going to happen. You just keep waiting and waiting and waiting. If you wait for perfection to pursue, it will always paralyze every single time. So you have to give up on that perfection thing. All right. The second thing, uh, I call this uh, buddy up. It's really accountability. I know buddy up sounds very Southern. It's like giddy up, uh, but buddy up. And so uh, this has been the biggest game changer for me. What I've realized over time is when I get a God prompt, that's what I, I call it when I sense God's calling me to do something. And whether it's a God prompt to have a difficult conversation with somebody, which I hate, I hate confrontation. Whether uh, it's a God prompt uh, to pursue a new idea or dream. What I've learned over time is I have to, as quickly as I can, share that prompt publicly. And when I mean publicly, I don't mean like in front of thousands of people. I got to share it with a couple friends. I, I, I got to be like, hey, guys, like I, I just felt this prompt that I really need to have this particular conversation with so-and-so. And you guys know I hate confrontation and I'm dreading it, but I know I need to do it. I'm going to do it on Wednesday and I want you to call me on Thursday and ask me how it went. That's what I call budding up. Whenever I get a God prompt, regardless of what it is, I found I got to share that because the longer that you live with a God prompt, the more content you become with not following it. Right? And that's been true for some of you, right? You felt a God prompt a month ago or six months ago, a year ago that you needed to do something and you kept putting it off. And the reality is it really bothered you in the beginning because you're like, I really need to do this. But you've discovered over time, just kind of like Pharaoh discovered, that you can actually live with the frogs. Not a great life, not real joy filled. You're kind of embarrassed about the fact that you weren't obedient, but you've learned over time you become content without doing it. You got to share that stuff because community is often what God uses to confront our desire to procrastinate. Community is what God uses to confront our desire to give up. And I've seen this time and time and time again in my own life. So you share that prompt as quickly as you can. And then the third thing is you got to ruthlessly prioritize. 
ruthlessly prioritize. Um, and you got to be cutthroat about this because we live in a culture right now where, oh my gosh, you're constantly being told. And it's honestly, this is my fear about this message. I, my, my big fear is that you're going to walk out of here in a few minutes and you're going to have a list of what you think are 20 things that you need to do. And you're not going to do any of them. Because we live in a culture where we're bombarded by so much information. Everybody's always telling you, you need to eat this. You know, you need to dress like this. You need to say this. You need to behave like this. And so you get bombarded with so many things that you need to do that you end up not doing any of them. And it's like you take um, one step in 20 different directions, right? Because you you're bombarded. And so it's like one step here, one step there, one step there. And nothing ever gets done. It, it shouldn't be one step in 20 different directions. It should be 20 steps in one direction, right? That's how you get things done. So my prayer is not that you walk out of here, you know, with a gazillion things that you feel like you've been procrastinating you need to do. No, that, that's not the case here. In fact, I, I would prefer you pick one, just one, and take 20 steps towards that. You have to ruthlessly prioritize. You have to figure out what is most important to my life and to my values. Now, remember how we were talking about the panic monster and how the panic monster actually doesn't exist in most of these scenarios that matter the most? That's true and not true. Because the reality is, for all of us, we have a limited amount of time, right? Even if you live a long, long, happy life, you have a limited amount of time. Uh, I got the opportunity um, two nights ago to go down to Toledo where my grandparents live and spend some time with them. My grandpa is 90 years old and uh, extremely just still very sharp, uh, in great health. Um, he, he, had, he played softball until last year, until he's 89. Um, it was slow pitch, very slow pitch. <laughs> Um, and sometimes when they'd hit, they wouldn't always run all the bases. It's like first is like home plate. Just if you make it the first at 89, good for you. That's amazing home run. Uh, so, uh, but he had to give that up and he's really bummed about that. But other than that, like life's really good. And, um, I, I did something that I procrastinated on for probably years now, for years now, I've said, I want to sit down with my grandparents and I want to interview them and I want to kind of write about their life to kind of like capture that, to pass that on to future generations of my family. And, um, and I, just, I just put that off. And I've been to lots of funerals over the years where I've heard families talk about they wish they would have captured memories. And I'm like, gosh, I got to do this. So I finally got to do it. And I, I just want to ask them just about their childhood and how they grew up. And I want to ask them about how they met. I want to ask them about how in the world they've, you know, been married for gosh, 70 years. Like, like, Tell me about that. Like, I, I want to know all about it. And so um, it was fascinating. But one of the things that kept coming up time and time and time again with them was how quickly time goes by and how, man, if they would have known 50 years ago, you know, they would have focused on this or they would have made this decision or they would have spent their time in this kind of way. And it was this reminder, and we've talked about this before, that our time is limited. So yeah, there's not a panic monster that's taking over your mind because these aren't hard set deadlines, but the reality is time is short. Psalm chapter 90 says this, teach us to number our days so that we may grow in wisdom. There's a wisdom that inherently comes with understanding that you have a limited amount of time to become the person that you want to become. 
to live the life of joy that God's called you to live. Hebrews chapter three says you, we must warn each other every day, as long as it is still called today, so that none of us will be deceived by sin and hardened against God. For if we are faithful to the end, trusting God as firmly as we first believed, we will share in all that belongs to Christ. But never forget the warning. Today, you must listen to his voice. Don't harden your hearts against him as Israel did when they rebelled. Is he talking about this? It's this whole concept of, gosh, the longer you live with a God prompt, the more content you can become. It's almost as if your heart just gets hardened over time and you learn to live a frog-saturated life. It's not a good life. It's not the life God, God called you to live, but you've learned you can survive. Um, there's another interesting story in Scripture about a guy by the name of Saul. Uh, Saul was the very first king of Israel. And when things started for Saul, things were really good. Um, Saul was a pretty humble guy. He was called the glory of Israel, right? So things were great with Saul and he seemed to be a pretty good king. And then one day everything started to shift. He started to drift. There was an event that took place um, and there was a significant battle and a new hero emerged out of the battle. His name was David, right? And all the people were going crazy about David. They even wrote a song. And in the song, what they would sing is, Saul has killed his thousands, but David has killed his tens of thousands. And Saul heard that, and something clicked in his mind. That jealousy started to take over. And no judgment on Saul. I think any human being, right? If you've ever been in, like, in a position of leadership, maybe you've been at work, and then all of a sudden, there's somebody else that comes along, and they're kind of performing at a higher level than you are, and you start hearing everybody talk about how great they are, right? Like in any normal human being, I think what would happen is jealousy or, or envy would start to rise up in your heart. I don't, I don't have a problem with that, right? It's what you do with that emotion when that pops up in that moment. Do you try to cut that emotion off? Do you try to work through that emotion? Or do you just choose to ignore it and let it do its thing? That's what it appears like Saul did in his life. He did nothing. But by doing nothing, essentially, he created this environment in his life where the jealousy and the envy just continued to grow. And the scripture says that he kept a jealous eye on David. Now, did that jealousy help Saul at all? Did it add any joy to his life? Did it make him a better leader? Did it uh, help him develop healthy relationships? No. In fact, it ruined him. It destroyed his heart. It consumed him with anger. It drove him to a tempted murder against David. It wrecked the relationship that he had with his own son. It destroyed him. He lost his crown, his throne, his very life. And so then we ask, well, why would you do that? Right? It's so easy, right? When it's somebody else's story to look at it and analyze it and be like, dude, why'd you do that? Like, why'd you just let anger and jealousy and envy continue to just grow inside of you? Like, why did you allow that to destroy you? And I'll tell you what I think, just kind of observing the story, scripture never says. I don't think he deliberately chose to live in envy. I don't think there's ever a day that Saul said to himself, you know what? I'm going to intentionally develop a bitter, envious heart and just see where this takes me in life. I don't think he ever did that. 
I think that that first day he felt a little bit of jealousy and anger. He just kind of ignored it. And the next day, even though I'm sure God was prompting in his heart to deal with it, he just said, nah, someday. And then time just went on and he learned that he could live with the anger and the envy. He learned that he could manage it until all of a sudden he couldn't and it ruined him. But this is more than a story about Saul, right? This is my story and this is your story. And I'm just wondering how this plays out for you. What is one area in your life that you're holding on to something that is not benefiting you in any form or fashion, right? It's not helping you become a more loving, patient, peaceful person. It's not helping you become the person you want to become. What is it? For some of you, maybe it's a grudge. Somebody hurt you and, and they hurt you deeply and you just, you can't let it go. You cannot forgive that other person. I talked to this sweet girl last night after the uh, evening service and just standing out in the lobby, just tears running down her face. She felt like her one thing that she's been procrastinating is forgiving an ex-boyfriend. And like she, you know, she's telling me the whole story and I'm like, yeah, I don't like that guy either. Like, you know, let's go get him. Like, you know, it's, it's like, yeah, I mean, he, he, he hurt her deeply. So like, I, I get her hurt. I know where those tears are coming from. Like, I get it, right? She's just like, I, I can't. I, if, if, like, to forgive him, I know God's prompting me to do this. To forgive him, it feels to me like he gets off scot-free. It's interesting, because we get really confused about forgiveness sometimes. So I'm like, no, let me help you, because I think you're confused here. Forgiveness is not condoning, all right? When you forgive somebody, you're not saying what they did to you is okay. What he did to you is not okay. It's not okay under any terms. You're, you're, you're not forgiving him even for him. You're forgiving him for you, for your heart. You're forgiving him so he doesn't continue to have control over your everyday life with this anger and this bitterness that you have inside of you. Forgiveness isn't reconciliation either. You forgive somebody, you don't necessarily, you, you can't always be reconciled. Sometimes it would not be a good idea. It would not be a good idea for her, in my opinion, to be reconciled with him. I don't think it's safe for her. So it's helping her understand, oh, no, 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 it's, this, it's not like condoning what he did and it's not reconciling with him. You got to forgive him. And by forgiving him, what you're doing is you're giving up your right to hurt him back. By forgiving him, you're trusting. You know, it, it's not that you're giving up on justice. You're just trusting you're not the one in charge of the justice. Like you, what you have to understand about all these God prompts that we keep procrastinating, pushing out into the distance. I think sometimes we almost think like, why is God doing this? Well, like, why can't I shake this? I'm tired of being convicted about this. I'm tired of this, like consuming my thoughts. Listen, it's not that God really wants something from you. He wants something for you. With that young lady last night, does God want her to forgive him? Sure. But it, it's, for no other reason than he wants her to live a free life where it doesn't consume her every single day. See, for some of you, you just keep holding on to it. You keep saying tomorrow, you've learned to live with the frogs. You've learned to live and manage your bitterness and your anger, but make no mistakes about it. It's still impacting everybody around you. Maybe today you stop saying tomorrow in that area of your life and you deal with it today. For some of you, um, Maybe there's an addiction in your life and maybe that addiction was born out of some really deep pain in your life 
And instead of facing the reality for you, you have to numb. And so when you feel the pain, you run off to the computer to look at pornography because that helps you numb the pain. For some of you, you grab the bottle. Others of you pop the pill. It's all about escape. It's all about putting off to tomorrow and not dealing with what you need to deal with today. Maybe that's what you're holding on to. For others of you, maybe it's an individual that's slipping into just unmanageable debt. And it's crushing you. You feel the pressure every day. It's the first thing you think about when you wake up is like just the pressure of that debt. And how are you going to pay this bill and that bill? But instead of dealing with it, you just say tomorrow. Somehow you've learned to actually live with that pressure. Right? And it's not a joy-filled life. It's not the life God's called you to, but you've learned that you can go out and get a new credit card, right? When that other card maxes out and you just keep postponing the inevitable. Again, this is not in an effort to guilt anybody. This is not a judgment kind of thing. I'm just wondering, wondering if there's anything in your life that you know is not benefiting you, but you've decided that you can live with it. What if today you said no more? What if today you gave up the excuses? What if today, instead of thinking about 15 different things, you just pick one of them and you just take 20 steps in that direction? And maybe you make that phone call to the counselor to get help in your marriage. Maybe you make that phone call to the church to finally get connected. Maybe you set up that meeting with that individual that you need to have that heart-to-heart -heart with. I don't know what it is. But I bet if you take a few seconds to just be quiet in your spirit, you'll know. You'll know. You'll know what your one thing is. I'm wondering right now, just not to put anybody on the spot, but just to kind of create a moment of community. I'm wondering... Who in here would be brave enough to admit that there's at least one thing in their life that they're holding on to that they know is actually not benefiting them? Would you raise your hand? Hold on to at least one thing, yeah. And, and I ask you to do that again, not to embarrass anybody, but just to kind of remind us that we're all on this journey together. And maybe just raising your hand is kind of that first step of budding up and being honest and getting the community and saying, I need some help in this area. I'm praying you'll take that step, whatever your next step is. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this day. Um, God, we gather here um, to worship you, and, and, we're, and we're grateful. We're so grateful that you care enough about us and you love us enough that you do give us these prompts. You remind us from time to time of some things that we need to do or some things that we need to let go of. And in your love and your kindness, you're patient with us. And yet there are moments, holy moments, moments like this moment where we have the opportunity to make a decision in our heart and say, no more. I'm going to do this or I'm going to stop this. I'm going to get some help with this. These moments where we can drive a stake in the ground and just say, this is a defining moment for me. I'm going to ruthlessly prioritize and I'm going to take 20 steps in this one direction. And God, I'm just so grateful right now thinking about all the transformation that could be represented in this room, that could be represented at Brighton and Grosseal for those that are watching online, all the little things that could happen over the next 24 hours, the phone calls that could be made and the letters that might get wrote and the, and the decisions that are made. Wow, like so many cool little transformational moments. And God, we're not all going to get it right. And some of us are going to try and we're going to stumble and we're going to fail. 
But God, the beauty of your grace is it's in your grace and it's in your love. It's in your strength that we get back up again. So God, give us the courage, give us the wisdom, give us the power to do the right thing at the right time. And we trust everything else to you. For it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Thank you guys so much for being here this weekend. I hope that you have an amazing week and uh, we'll see you next weekend. God bless.